Right. We're glad to uh, glad to be a part of your wasted time then. <laughs> <laughs> to all of you just, listening to us. Just uh, do the intro. Okay. And welcome to JudgeCast. Uh, this is Sean Cadenese from Sacramento, California, for the near future at least. And Jose Boveda, Sacramento, California. Yep. Uh, we're judges talking about judge-related stuff for Magic. We have been, oh, intermittent, I would say, in our recording uh, for these podcasts. But as we hopefully work out the issues in our lives and get back to a normal cadence. Well, think, uh, actually, uh, this time around, it was, there was a lot of judging happening. Exactly. There was. There was. There was a lot of stuff going on. We had uh, got PTQs in the region that happened. States happened. Uh, lots of stuff going on, um, and also lots of new stuff that yeah. happened. Uh, so I think it's it's you know it's worth noting that yeah we've been busy, um, yeah. but it's been you know serving the community hopefully and and uh, working hard. So um, we'll, we've got a few things to talk about today. First, we want to go into just a, a brief cap of what's been going on in the world of magic in terms of tournaments and judging and what's been going on with those things. Uh, then we'll also talk a little bit about some changes that have happened to the Wizards Play Network because I know a lot of the judges that listen to us are also tournament organizers, um, and this uh, has or can affect them um, in pretty significant ways. It was it was very strange when I when just before I heard about the WPN change, I you know I, I wake up in the morning and uh, you know the announcements go on three hours ahead yeah. of of California. So, like, I wake up in the morning, uh, you know, it's kind of chilly. I open my window, and I hear this echoing off in the distance. Uh-huh. This, this overwhelming negative energy just flooded into my living room. Well, that's, that's part of what's happening with WPN changes. Um, I, On I my rate. We, we know how you feel, Jose, and we will get to how you feel in more detail. Um, also, we want to go over some listener mail, rules questions, that sort of thing. That's one of the main things we do for y'all is we'll answer your rules questions. Online and offline. So you can just write us at judgecast at gmail.com and mm-hmm. uh, we'll answer your questions much more uh, uh, on time than, than we do the podcast. Yeah, but you, we pick and choose the best ones and, and read them out here. So kind of broadcast knowledge. Yeah, exactly. The same way that the cranial insertion guys do it over at MTG Salvation. In fact, I've seen them stealing some of our questions recently. Oh, yeah. Well, not stealing. I'm sure they got the same questions. But Eye of the Storm and Cast Through Time came up. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, again, a terrible interaction, folks. Um, we also Speaking <clears throat> of which, uh, we should give a shout-out to uh, Charlotte Sable, who okay. wrote in uh, helping us out with that... Uh, Eye of the Storm, uh, Cast Through Time. Well, and she deserves a shout-out, not for that. She helped us out with that, you know, months ago. But what she deserves a shout-out for this time, actually, is for making Level 2. Wahoo! Yeah, she is Canada's uh, newest Level 2 judge. Um, In fact, she did so at Grand Prix Toronto, so we'll just jump right into the news about what's been going on in tournaments. Um, She was, yeah, tested for L2 uh, in Grand Prix Toronto. Um, She was one of five people that tested for Level 2. Um, she was the only one that passed. Wow. So yes. that, I mean, you can imagine that is a tough, tough test. Now she, she aced it pretty well. Um, I won't disclose her score or anything like that, but she did pretty well. Um, these other four folks, I've been there. Um, if you've taken an L2 test and failed, I have been there. Um, I've been there twice. In fact, you can check my scores on the <laughs> judge center if you're a higher level judge. Um, this is not an easy test. Um, and so 
uh, for those of you who have taken a test and failed, or for those of you who are looking at you know these guys, these L2s that or these L1s trying to make L2, it's a tough, tough test to take. Uh, once you get through it, though, um, the rewards are well numerous. They're they're fantastic rewards for that. Um, not the least of which is one of the reasons that Charlotte wanted to test for L2. She and I talked a little bit earlier today, um, and she was talking about um, why she wanted to be an L2. I kind of asked her, you know, what, what does that give you? Because she lives in Guelph in Canada, which is uh, not a particularly high-density area for a lot of players and a lot of stores, that sort of thing. She says she has one local store, um, and there's another L1 that she shares responsibilities with there. Um, but there... You know, if you only have one store, what do you need an L1 and an L2 for? I mean, that's that, that was my first question, sort of, why do you want this? Um, and we talked about it some more. Her response really was, well, the reason I want it um, is that I can take these experiences that I gain as an L2. Because L2s have, again, a broader range of opportunities out there. You can apply for sponsorship to a Pro Tour. You can apply to work in a Grand Prix. You know, you can do more things when you're at a Grand Prix. Um, or at a PTQ, you can eventually head judge a PTQ or your states or other things like that. So there's more opportunities, and she wants to take that broader range of opportunities, learn from it, and bring those experiences and lessons back to her local level, which is, I think, exactly uh, one path that, that L2s aren't necessarily taught from the get-go, You know, because oftentimes, I mean, what's your perception of what an L2 is supposed to do? Train others like me. Exactly. That's that's exactly what L2s are supposed to do. They're supposed to make other judges, um, and that's that's part of the training that she'll be able to impart on those new judges. Right. But the other part is being able to experience more and learn more from her community and broadly. Um, so that's fantastic. I'm glad to she, see that she made that. Um, and we have, uh, she was saying there's 1,361 players in Grand Prix Toronto. That's a lot of sealed product. That is a lot of sealed product. Um, I think it's the largest Grand Prix that Canada has ever had. Uh, not sure if that breaks the North American record. I think we'll probably see that broken at Nashville and again at places like Dallas and other places next year. Um, and so we'll we'll see that happen. But um, so that that happened. We also uh, two L one promotions. Um, L zero is testing for L L one and made it. Um, so congratulations, folks, on that. Um, <clears throat> So Grand Prix Toronto just happened this last weekend. Fantastic stuff happened there. Uh, sounds like it was a great opportunity for a lot of folks. Um, and sounds like Charlotte, one of our listeners, thank you very much for sort of uh, sitting down with me today and talking a bit about uh, what goes on for her and why she was you know, so you know interested in making Grand Prix Toronto a good experience for her. The uh, all the judges she was she you know rattled off a list of all the people that were there basically and said, "Wow, this guy was awesome and he was so great to work with and 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 uh, I think Ricky's name was mentioned in there once. Uh yeah, Ricky. R- Ricky Ricky judged the Grand Prix Toronto. He 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 wasn't in Grand Prix Toronto to judge that. I mean, I'm sure he was in the main event to begin with. Everybody's in the main event to begin with. Uh, but I believe he was the head judge of the PTQ on oh, day okay. two, which had uh, something like 230 players or something. Mm. So a good-sized PTQ, yeah, um, which was actually bigger than our states. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you uh, were at our states. I, I was at our states. I was uh, there uh, judging. We had a, a great staff and an awesome uh, head judge for uh, states. Okay, spoiler alert, that was uh, – I'm the head judge, Sean, here. Yeah. 
Um, we continue. Uh, and um, we had, uh, what, what was the final count? Like uh, 156? 158. 150. What happened is we had 156 to start with, and then two players came in really um, in the, just <clears throat> as round one was starting. Uh, the tournament organizer made the decision to let them in uh, where they could just, they had to submit their deck lists right away, and they uh, lost round one, both of them. But they could continue to play. So okay. that was kind of a nice thing for him because... Uh, the location, a little hard to get to, parking kind of a problem, you know, worked that out. Uh, but they still got to play, and they were happy with that. So, yeah. Um, 158 players. 158 players. It took place at Great Escape Games, which is, you know, in my backyard. And mm-hmm. be- between that and you had judging, I'm like, oh, this, how could I pass up the, the chance to, uh, mm-hmm. to uh, judge there? Um, but we had a great staff. Uh, Lexi Gusev was there. Uh, Peter Manning was there. Yeah, two L2s that uh, were our, our team leads for that. Uh, one in logistics and paper together because unless you're dealing with sealed product, um, logistics and paper have not a ton of responsibilities that paper doesn't already have. Logistics is kind of a small-end team. Um, so I basically put Alexi on paper and logistics together um, and said, Peter, you're great at deck checks. Go. And so had them kind of separate you two. And then all the, we had uh, two L1s on staff and one L0, Brian Denmark, who um, I believe is testing soon, I hope. Um, so he's definitely ready. Um, so we had those folks. I was head judge and scorekeeper. Um, and I think it worked out pretty well. Now, when you mention um, uh, logistics, paper, deck checks, these mm-hmm. are the, the, the separate teams mm-hmm. that you go into a tournament for. And I don't think we've actually talked about the teams, how we break it down for an event like states or P, uh, PTQ. Right, right. Well, we talked about it a little bit, but I think it's good mm-hmm. to refresh refresh our listeners' memories. Basically, um, the team, the staff for a, a large event, and we're talking probably more than 100 players, Right, um, is really where you get to this point where there are so many specific specialized tasks to do that it makes sense to have one person focused on making that task work throughout the course of the tournament. So uh, take paper. Paper team basically takes the standings and puts them up and takes them down, and the pairings and puts them up and takes them down, and worries about match uh, match slips, getting those cut up and passed out, and that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> so that's paper, mostly. Um, when we're talking about logistics, that's making sure tables and chairs are in the right places, that traffic is flowing properly, um, that signs are posted where people need to go, um, or that... Um, you know, when you're dealing with sealed product, like we did, like we're talking about Grand Prix Toronto, logistics is the group that passes out all of that product and then collects it afterwards. Well, right, you, you go through and you collect, collect the wrappers, the and, yeah, the trash basically. Um, so that's logistics. That's a huge task for a sealed tournament, which is all these PTQs that are in this season. Um, but it's less of a task when it's constructed. Um, so we really combined. For, this, for the purpose of this tournament, combined paper and logistics and said one person can handle both of those as a team lead, and you have a couple people that you work with. Um, and then the other team, uh, we've talked about paper, we've talked about logistics. The last one is deck checks. Um, and they're really critical to ensuring the integrity of the tournament going forward. Yeah. Um, and I guess you got the chance to perform a few deck checks. Yeah, I, I performed deck checks. Um, I was under Alexi doing like the paper and, and doing all mm-hmm. that stuff, but... Um, uh, especially like the earlier rounds, um, we do as many deck checks as we can. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I just went in there and jumped in and, and uh, swooped in on, on a few players. Good, good. So we do a mid-round and we do uh, a beginning of the round mm-hmm. check. Uh, it depends on how many we do. depends really on 
how many players we have and the judging capacity, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but the basic idea is that um, deck checks for round one, uh, basically you're collecting all the deck lists, checking them all to make sure that they're legal 60 cards, you know, 15 sideboard cards, legal cards in them, that they're uh, not ambiguous names. You're not saying, you know, I'm Jace yeah. and I'm playing four Jaces. And <laughs> which Jace would that be? You know, that that's that we, we you know rectify those things, give you game losses in round two for screwing it up. Um, and then we get into deck, actual deck checks where it's, you know, making sure that the deck you're playing is the deck you registered, um, keeping you honest. Yeah. So that's, um, and we also do them in the middle of the round to make sure that you're not sneaking in, you know, your Jund, well, it used to be a Jund sideboard, but, it, you know, you don't have a specific blue-white control sideboard and a, uh, you know, metal crap red sideboard and that sort of thing. Right. That you're actually being uh, honest about it. Yeah. So. So uh, yeah, the deck checks uh, weren't weren't too bad. Uh, we did have this uh, one one individual, which uh, I got a shady feeling about because he was uh, he appeared very lost uh, in the way he was uh, answering questions and stuff. Uh, you know, when a judge well, asks you a question, just answer it. <laughs> yeah, he's he, he wasn't evasive. He was just obtuse about his answers. Mm-hmm. Sort of sort of like. Um, you know, I say, okay, this is your deck. This is your sideboard. Um, you know, there was there was a card missing from uh, between deck and sideboard, mm-hmm. um, and he hadn't de-sideboarded his deck. So, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to track down what's going on. I get called away. I come back, and he's switching his deck around while I, I had momentarily right. stepped away. And that sounds really shady. Now, we we talked about this a bit more, and and sort of worked out what was going on with him. But it was, yeah, that sounds like a very shady thing to do. Yeah. It's not something you, you I mean, basically when a judge asks you, here's your deck, here's your deck list, these don't match properly. I need you to make sure that they match properly. Tell me what's missing here. But And, and it's tough to be, you know, to leave that with the player and then walk away to some other task because the beginning of round two, you've got multiples of these going on. Right. Where, you know, we had, I think, only about... I think less than ten people screwing up their deck lists. Right. But when you only have five judges, that's two for each to juggle. Yeah. And you still need judges on the floor, you know, taking judge calls. Absolutely. People people are still raising their hand and going, "Hey, you know, uh, does this pyromancer ascension thing work with my Nile spell bomb?" You know. Yeah. Exactly. Stuff like that. So. Yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely difficult. So. Okay. So you had fun with deck checks, though. Uh. Yeah. Good. I had, I had a lot of fun actually just being at the event. Really, um, you know, we're we're uh, a smaller town, but we do have a thriving magic community, and it's pretty obvious when we're hosting states and two PTQs, one uh, uh, that just passed and another one coming up November sixth. Mm-hmm. So you know, our our local store and our local community is pretty vibrant. So um, not everybody is that lucky, mm-hmm. um, but I think that if you're if you're going to be a judge. And even if you're like me and you want to do more community building, more local stuff, you you still the experiences that you get running in larger tournaments is invaluable. Oh, it I is. really found it. I really found it a great experience to be there. You work with other judges in your in your local area, even not just in your area, but the surrounding areas. Like yeah. Alexi works. Uh, well, he's uh, in Davis yeah. also, but it, he only goes there for college. So he's right. got another community that he serves in and plays in. Right. Um, in the off season, you might call it. <laughs> in um, his off season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of good variety you can glean from the different places yeah. and that pe- each of the judges come from. Uh, that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. that um, you know these larger events, not just 
um, PTQs. I mean, PTQs usually draw from the region, but we're talking, you know, larger ones like Grand Prix and Star City Open, you know, weekends and, uh, you know, TCG Player Open weekends. All these these larger events bring judges from a, a really broader community and you can vary your experiences. Um, I know I've made friends from around the world doing this, you right. know. Um, I can say, you know, hi, Fabian Peck, down in, you know, down under, I could, or not down under, he's actually New Zealand, but, um, you know, he's I, a Kiwi. He's a Kiwi, right. I can say hi to him and like, you know, he, I, I know who he is and I've talked to him and sat down with him or Barry Swan in Colombia, you know, I, I, it's amazing to know people from that perspective, um, and to be able to share experiences and not just that thing, but, but also, um, investigative techniques, uh, right. You know, stories of how players have cheated in the past, so you can look for those things in the future um, to really build a stronger and, again, more fair game going forward. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. So States was fantastic. Uh, had a lot of fun. Uh, the, I think the, the guy who won came from L.A. on, like, one or two hours of sleep in the car. Uh, yeah, he this uh, black-blue deck, I'm actually mimicking it right now uh, with my current standard deck. He's, yeah, pretty pretty awesome. Um a lot of stuff happened, though, uh, in that tournament. Really can't talk about all of it because some of it's confidential. But that's how it What goes. a teaser. What <sighs> a tease you are. That's one of the things that judges here. Um, we definitely have to keep some things confidential. Yeah. Um, though I would say that, uh, well, there are some things that we tend to think, think should be confidential that I think we really could all benefit from some, from some more transparency on. Uh, things like, you know, investigations and that sort yeah. of thing. Where... Um, especially the high-profile events, right? Um, you know, pro tours, that sort of thing. Um, but again, that's getting a little further afield than we planned on right now. Yeah, and we um, did, and we did also talk about it in an earlier judge cast. I mean, yeah. for, uh, I I agree with you, and I think that we both we both take that stance that uh, that transparency just helps us as the judging community mm -hmm. bring a better experience to the players and the players will understand better what goes into their experience. In well, they, words, they'll trust us more. Yeah, yeah. It, it, exactly. Um, you know, they, sometimes judges, uh, you know, get a bad rap or whatever because, you know, some calls go one way or the other. They, a lot of people will be like, oh, but, you know, uh, this judge told me differently. And that's happened to me personally. Right, right. Where I've had calls not go my way and I'm like, but that's not the rule. You know, uh -huh. but there's nothing, you know, I could say. I'm just going to be like, oh, okay, well, yeah. Okay. Well, and, I mean, short of an appeal. You can right. always appeal to the head judge. Um, but yeah, I, but in your pre-releases sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. And new formats like Two-Headed Giant when they first came out, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. You get all people sorts give of you some weird that. answers to things. Okay. So that's we're done talking about tournaments for the time being, I think. Um, but there's an elephant in this room, Jose. <clears throat> oh yes, there is an elephant in and this I can, room. And I can see that you've got steam coming out your ears and you're interested in, you're about to blow your top unless I just let you vent on this. So um, let's just give folks some background on what happened first yeah. and then we'll be able to talk about it some more. Um, October 15th uh, will go down as a day of infamy <laughs> um, in the history of uh, magic for many players. Um, and that's the day that Wizards decided to uh, make what seemed initially as sort of an innocuous move, that um, the levels that somebody has within the Wizards Play Network, 
that whether they're an advanced organizer, a core level organizer, or a gateway organizer, those levels are associated now with the store with whom they're affiliated instead of them personally. And that also means that the organizers that were you know, independent of stores, not affiliated with stores at all, um, lost a lot of their experience points, if you will, their, yeah. their, uh, the, the DCI unique players that they had registered, um, the new players that they had registered, um, the types of events they'd registered, and the, our ability to run other events in the future. Specifically, independent organizers were stripped of their right, not their right, but their ability um, to run Friday Night Magic, um, pre-releases, launch parties, game days, basically the, the core programs of the Wizards Play Network, the things that people flock to, the things that are advertised, um, the things that, uh, you know, that, that people know about if they want to get into the game or if they want to continue being competitive in the game. They want to, this is the things that the community rallies around in terms of events to come together. Um, yeah, they've got promos associated with them too. You know, they've got um, a lot of promotional materials and, and that sort of thing, um, but they really help build the community. So those are gone from independent organizers. Now you have to be affiliated with the store if you want to run those events. And each store can only run so many of them. Right. Even though uh, the WPN gave stores the ability to run now, say, more than one Friday Night Magic. Right. They can they, run they two. Can, right. Now they, they, they threw that one in with the announcement. Right. You can run two Friday Night Magics, but they have to be run at the same location. Mm -hmm. um, and they have to... Um, yeah, they have to both be still, you know, affiliated with that store. So, yeah. um, for instance, if you had, um, say, uh, a store in a college town and that store only had room for maybe 16 players, you know, 16 is, is a decent sized FNM for, you know, you get four rounds in, you get to play, uh, you doesn't go all night. It's good. Um, but only 16 players. Well, college town Hasbro wants them to have more than 16 players. Yeah. Um, I certainly do because I want the game to be healthy. So if I'm an independent organizer, I'd say, you know, I want to run another event here. I want, I want more people to be able to play. You don't have the room for it here. So let's run it off site. Let's, let's, let's take it to the university union at the college nearby mm -hmm. and let's do that. Well, as that independent organizer, I could have done that without the store's bidding. But still, that store is going to be the person. That's going to be the business where people are going to go to get their cards. They're going to go, you know, to all these other online retailers to get their cards. Um, they're definitely going to buy cards and be a part of the community and build the brand and build the game. Um, and now I can't do that anymore. But you have an independent street to you and an independent motivation. So tell me about how this has affected you and what you're feeling about it. I'm just well, going to shut up for like five minutes here and let you go. See the. You know, I, I've mentioned this in the in previous podcasts. I'll mention it again that the primary reason that I became a judge, I'm I'm not one of these guys whose whose goal is to, uh, you know, be be there judging a pro tour or anything like that. I mean, I love I love the game. I love the high levels of the game. I, I respect that they're there. But my my heart's always been in the grassroots. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to, you know, make sure that the players that come in. Time and again, the, the people that I associate with are having fun at this game. They're, you know, I want to bring in new people. I, anytime somebody is daring to go out of their kitchen table uh, play group and see what else is there, maybe want to meet some new friends, maybe 
the kitchen table doesn't meet, you know, as often as they want. So they want to get some more magic in. I want to be that the person that says, hey, you know, welcome. You know, there's lots of things that you can do. Come to this store. You can go to that store. Here's your F&M. Uh, and then, you know, if this is if this is what you want to do, here are your resources. I want to grow the community in, in that way. Um, and because of that, uh, I wanted to, of course, you know, officiate these things, uh, you know, be a presence there not just as a TO, but, a, you know, as a judge too, because, you know, a lot of times they go hand in hand. Um, so when the WPN was announced that this is how you can be an independent tournament organizer and basically have the, the seal of approval that you can run uh, these tournaments if you want, um, you know, it's a circuit for uh, wizards to give you the support uh, to run these things. Um, you know, this was, this was just a godsend. I signed up for it and many podcasts, I have regaled listeners with my frustrations <laughs> with, uh, with, uh, you know, the WPN organizer here in California. Um, well, and I, I want to actually talk a little bit about the, the formation of the WPN to start with, because yeah. they, and I don't mean to interrupt you here, but you're, you're on a roll with Talking about why the WPN exists. Yeah, exactly. And, Please and, go and go the ahead. The Play Network really exists, and it it, it came out of uh, I believe it was two thousand eight, where where Wizards came to the community and said, "How can we help you grow? How can we help you you know become a stronger, more integrated community and find find all these other players that are out there that don't know about organized play and help them find organized play." Help them find F and M when all they know is the kitchen table. Exactly, which is exactly what I said. But yes, go on. no, that's that's what their their objective was, though. That's what they were coming to us and saying, "You can go do this." And they made all the judges core level organizers. Yep. And they made um, you know, they made it very easy, incredibly easy, to start off and just say, you just click a few buttons and say, "Yes, I'll do this. Yes, I'll go through this." And I can become a gateway level organizer. And then when I get enough people signed up, then I can become a core level organizer. And then I can run F&Ms. And then when I get yeah. enough people signed up, I can get up to an advanced level organizer. And I can run pre-releases. And I can run game days. And I can do all these sorts of other cool things that allow me to build this community. Now, if you're independent, all you have to support you is a – you can get it four times a year. And it's a kit that has the core set – gateway promos and that's what you get thanks yeah so that's 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 what they have but because it's going to be awesome when summer's rolling around <laughs> and i want to run an independent because now i can't run any sort of fnm i could run my own stuff wherever i want uh, you know, not through uh, not through a store. You could run a 5K on your own if you wanted to, Jose. Yeah. But it would only be a certain K level. Yep. Um, and you wouldn't be able to get any kind of support from Wizards aside from what they would give you four mm-hmm. times a year. Right. The M11 Gateway Kit. Right. Yeah, come cool. summertime, people are going to love to get, you know, yet another... Uh, fling. Fling, Yeah. Yes. Uh, here you go. In case uh, this wasn't relevant the rest of the year, <laughs> here you are. It has cool quote. That's uh-huh. that's that's very cool. But uh, no, yeah, that's you're absolutely right. Uh, the Wizards Play Network started to give judges, and this is how 
I finally said, okay, I have to become a judge because I started with this uh, drive, mm-hmm. um, you know, fell by the wayside. Um, I end up moving over here. I hear about uh, this new WPM program. And really it was the sort of, you know, last straw to get me to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to do this. I wanted to do this before. I'm going to become a judge so I can become an organizer so that I can grow my community and run fun stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to run, uh, you know, an F&M. And once I have all those players there, I'll run a, you know, a non-F&M side event, uh, some, something crazy. Yeah. And, and pe- just have people show up and have people have fun. Well, and there's another side to this too. Um, and that is that having the ability to independently run your own stuff has really allowed the community as a whole to hold the stores accountable for how they act. Really, any tournament organizer can be held accountable by the store voting with its feet or by the community voting with its feet and taking its business to the organizers that serve its interests best. Yep. It's created competition, but it's created competition not in a way that is really adversarial, but it's actually allowed stores to work with one another, Yep, I, I find. Um, but also, you, you have, uh, for instance... Stores work together because the TOs that are most successful work from store to store. Uh-huh. So now you have your TOs being glue in the community. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we ran this thing with... Uh, there was a, a store out in Folsom, which is a good 20, 30 minutes drive from here. Um, and they're kind of on the outskirts of our urban core. And they're a small store. They don't have a whole lot going on, but they've got a really dedicated or, or organizer and uh, owner there uh, named Andy. And he is fantastic for his local crew. Uh, you know, he's got families that come in. He keeps it a very relaxed environment. But there's some aspects of tournament organizing and running a tournament that he doesn't really have down completely well. Right. Um, or it's something that he hasn't experienced a better way of doing things. Right. Well, he and I got to talking about, you know, hey, are you interested in becoming a judge? Tell me more about the experiences that you've had out there, trying to get a sense as a level two judge of my community on the outside. Talked to him some more, and he said, you know, I keep hearing about these game day things, and I can't seem to find out, figure out how I can run them. Um, I really want to see how I can run them and, and, and help. You know, I think the kids here would really love it. We don't really have many events on a Saturday, but I think this would really get us started doing it. I said, Great. I'm an advanced tournament organizer. I have the ability to do this. Um, I'll be happy to run advanced uh, run a game day at your location. Happy to help you out here. And then once you guys get up and running, once you get the requisite attendance, you guys can start running it on your own. Right. So I went up there. I ran it for them. They had a great time. And now he's stuck with only the attendance that he can generate at that place to decide whether or not he gets a game day. Yep. Where all of his players can say, you know, you're not running game day here, but you are, they are running it somewhere else. I'm going to go somewhere else for my game days, get into the pattern of going there. And his store is going to lose that potential. Yep. I don't know. I don't know if it's just our experience here. Mm-hmm. But here, the independent TOs have served as a glue between stores. They've mm-hmm. actually, just like you're saying, you ended up going there and becoming like the seed of growth for mm-hmm. this store. So you kind of, you know, move them along on their quest to become an advanced uh, store. Sure. And then they can do their thing. And then you can move on somewhere else. You, right. You're literally growing the community. And now mm-hmm. you don't have that anymore. You don't, you don't have that anymore. Well, and, and I wanted to hit a little bit more on the competition aspect of it, too. Yep. Um, because 
if you live in a, I mean, we're blessed here in Sacramento to have, what is it, a dozen stores in the yeah, metro we, area? Yeah, we do. We have I mean, a lot we have of stores. a ton of stores in the area here. A lot of them run FNM. A lot of them don't, but a lot of them do tons of stuff. Um, lots of players, a good, vibrant community. But part of that, too, is that if I lived in, a, in another store, another area where there's only really one store or maybe two stores, say one's a big store and one's a little store, um, and say say we have you know the big store, the guy who's running events there, he doesn't really care so much. He doesn't care because you know Magic's a steady profit-making selling product, but it kind of takes care of itself year in year out. He doesn't need to promote it much. He doesn't really need to tell the players to to do much about it. He honestly doesn't care how his events are run because the product keeps selling. Okay. Um, and he's a big store, so he can he's got a diverse array of products, and he gets most of his income from tabletop games and other, you know, 40k or whatever. He can do that, and he can run terrible events for lots of people, and the community will essentially suffer for it. Yeah. But if I'm running at a small store and I want to compete with that organizer, compete with that big store and say, you know, I can do this better. I can do a I can run a better event and I, I want to be able to serve my community better. Under this new system, that small store doesn't have the option of viably competing. And what I mean is that what the store has options for is say they can run their own events, they can run their own pre-releases, but every time their events show up in the locator, they're showing up at their location. So if I wanted to go to that small store and say, you know what? We've got 50 players over here. They're unhappy with the way their TO is running things. Let's get a space that can hold 50 players, and let's have our event there. That event will still show up in the locator at the tiny location. Yep. So all the players that are clicking on you know, all the banners online, and all the ways to get to the pre-releases, the way they do it is they click on the banner and they say, okay, take me to the locator. And actually, I, this is kind of a funny thing. My uncle actually wrote the program for the locator. Oh, yeah? <laughs> he wrote that, that website. Um, but it actually has the capacity to run. It says you know it, it can run locations off from the actual retail location. They can sure. do that. Um, it's, it's capable of doing that. But this policy that they have now prevents that from happening. So that when I look for this store, well, I look for this alternative to my terrible TO, I find this little store. Yeah. If I make the effort and go to that little store, I show up, and they say, no, you, we, you actually need to go down the road a bit. You know, to that pizza place you passed three miles ago. That's where we're actually running this. So I have to get back in the car and make a second trip. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the players just aren't going to do that. Yeah, they, you have that. You also have, I mean, you, we don't need to paint the picture of the small gaming store to our listeners. They know what a small gaming store looks like. Oh, yeah, like. no, I don't want to be packed in a crowded room with 20 yeah. big sweaty nerds any more than any of you. Exactly. Y'all. Welcome to the pre-release, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we have 12 slots. Who yeah. wants that? Well, absolutely. absolutely. Suddenly, this little store can't compete specifically because of their little storeness. Mm-hmm. They they have room for twelve players, sixteen players if they you know wedging people in with a crowbar. Right. Uh, now you have to go offsite, and now we can, you know, jerry rig this stuff to work. We can say, well, actually, our event is going on at the you know University Union uh, down the road. Yeah. It's over there. However. We need, the very fact that we need to jury-rig it means that there is a need that is not being met. Absolutely. The policy, I think... We need to find workarounds to the policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the policy. And that's the thing, is that it's not something that wizards can't do. 
because they've been doing it for the last two years. The, the impetus for WPN was to do it. Yeah, exactly. It's and like, it's not that they can't. It's that they won't. And, and now let's get into a couple of the reasons that we talk about wanting to make this change. Sure. Um, and I wanted to kind of bring up – to I mean – and this is a this is probably a, a fair point to note here. That is that we're kind of going off on this. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't give a crap about the WPN, uh, you know, I apologize for wasting the last fifteen twenty minutes of your life here. Uh, but it's important to the organized play of the community. Uh, I don't I don't see how somebody doesn't want to know about this because yeah. if you play magic, <laughs> if you yeah. play magic anywhere other than. Either in your PJs in front of MTGO or at your kitchen table with your friends. If you ever wanted to go out and see what an FNM is like, this yeah. will directly impact your play experience. This, this is, is what true. we're talking this is, about this right is, now. This is true. So, so if you don't care, just bear with us. You know, We'll get to the listener questions and we'll talk about all the zany interactions. <laughs> but right now, this really needs to be broached. And let me tell you. Uh, Evan Irwin on his Twitter feed mentioned this. He knows. He he sees the writing. We all do. The WPN started as a way for independent TOs to help grow the community, and now there is no more independent TOs. Well, You're stuck at your store. Absolutely. And it, it, Ricky made this point in his blog. I don't know if you, you, you if you've ever read Ricky's blog. Um, I think it's called something like the Semi Virginian. Um, R- Ricky made a note in there that. Um, the day before this announcement, October 14th, uh, Gavin, Gavin uh, Berry, uh, Verhey, uh, he, yep. he made this uh, <laughs> great article. Actually, I love the article um, on Star City Games about the death of magic. And it was actually one of – Written uh, like from the future. Yeah, yeah, I read that. It was a great, great yeah. article. Yeah, it was uh, sort of a – I think they called it a, a topical blend. Um, the same sort of thing that Mark Rosewater used to do, right. uh, where he takes two random topics that people pick from a survey and he combines them, and they were a future site, and that are they were the future or time travel and the death of magic. And so he, you know, and when you answered his asked his questions and posted things in the forums, he actually answered in the forums also as though he was future Gavin as well. It was fantastic. Um, but that was about the death of magic, and he was arguing that it was the complexity of the game that was going to kill magic. Um, and then <laughs> the next point that came up with, and then the is, next day the music died. Yeah, right, right. It was more the the feeling of you know, this is not the death of magic. I I want to I want to assure you that the game does go on regardless. That that doomsaying, um, <sighs> doomsaying really doesn't accomplish much at all. Um, but I think no, it's, but riots do. <laughs> I no, we're not going to incite a riot. Uh, no, we're not going to okay. incite a riot, but. I do want to open this dialogue. I feel like oh, it's, it's, this is this is why I mentioned Evan Irwin because in his Twitter feed he says, you know, maybe I'll talk about this on the Magic Show, and he didn't, and he didn't. I don't know if he's waiting, you know, uh, to talk about it to get all well, this back together. I think or there's there's probably a lot more feedback that he would wait for. And actually, in fairness, we have our own request for an interview with somebody from Wizards pending right now. Um, so they can get back to us and really talk because it's not just these questions. We're not going to just nail you on all these questions. If you're listening guys at wizards, um, we really want to know why, why, <laughs> why? Okay. Um, and, and again, you kind of In, make... insert obligatory, uh, Darth Vader reference here, right? So I've changed the deal. Pray. I do not alter it again. <laughs> uh, so, 
That's an awesome reference. I I totally missed that. Um, well, one thing I did want to bring up though is that they do have a, a, a FAQ document, a frequently asked questions document, on the Wizards customer service website. So let me just, for the sake of of telling their side in their own words. Sure, please um, do. I've read this, <laughs> and there's one particular line near okay. the bottom that I love. Okay, well, it I, essentially says. S-O-L. Okay, so I'm going to read just a couple of the FAQ questions, not all. Uh, first off, why is Wizards making this change? Well, uh, Wizards of the Coast wants to build a strong uh, magic community in stores. Attaching WPN programs and levels to, to retail venues creates a greater connection between players and the stores where they play. I actually can't argue with that at all. It probably does, just at a cost. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, the, the cost, I'm, I'm the editorializing the FAQ. I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't do that. Um, so this change allows Wizards to better leverage the strengths of the WPN and our programs, maximizing their impact for stores and promoting the formation of vibrant player communities. Or some stores. Uh, you know, yeah, that's, that. I mean, I, I, I want to hear more. And we, 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 did, we did touch on that. How this, you know, we used to have this, you, you touched on it earlier, we used to have this, sort of community building competition going on because the NDTOs could could run events at various stores and everybody was happy. Now, the big store, little store thing that you were talking about, little store suffers because now it's not a community building competition. It is now oh, survival cut, of the fittest. It's cutthroat competition. Yeah. Between so yeah. now a store is competing directly with another store instead of working with a TO to grow the entire community, mm-hmm. thereby everybody profits, big store and little store. Mm-hmm. Now no, it's, it's really just, I can eat the little store and I will take their power if I eat their heart. Right. That's that's the way to grow, um, this cannibalism. Okay. So let, let's go on to the other questions in the FAQ. Sure. Then. So uh, what happens if there is no WPN store in my city? Oh, no. That's core or advanced level. How can I get players higher level content? So basically, these this is the question that a lot of uh, college, university campuses, uh, their, their gaming clubs have been asking. Yep. You know, we don't have a store locally in, you know, bumfuck college town somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't have one. So what are we going to do? You know, that's what they're asking because they're accustomed to running FNM. They yep. like to do that. So if there isn't a WPN store in your city with a high enough level to get FNM, pre-releases, Grand Prix trials, etc., then encourage them to run and report more play activity. So, so first off, he's, they're saying, if you don't have a store that's good enough, make them good enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> ludicrous. Right. So if it's, it's ludicrous. You don't have it? Make it. Right. If you don't have a store that's good enough, make your current stores good enough. Okay. Show the store how much it has to gain by raising its level. Not just WPN benefits, but the player community it will build. Okay. Um, you can also offer to organize events in the store until it gets credited, etc. So that's that's one way to do it. Okay. <clears throat> so that's if that's the – and that's actually the places that say, you know, we've got a store, but it's kind of small and it hasn't done, run much events and you know, we really want to – you know, fine. You have a small store, build it up. That sounds great. Um, I, I, but to make I, that your only option, I just want to point out that with the prior system, if you had an independent tournament organizer who was in neighboring large town, 
you can get in contact with this person and say, hey, can you run a large event here? I want to grow the community. And NDTO can go, sure, why don't we schedule something? Right. Whereas large store-based TO says, no, they're just going to come to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, 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 yeah. Store-based TO now, you're, you're putting, you're putting, you know, the, uh, the, the food in the hands of the, the, you know, the bait in the hands of the shark here. No, I, and I say this as a, as myself, a tournament organizer associated with five different stores. I mean, I am still associated with five stores and I can run events at any one of those five stores, but the stores themselves are limited by how many events they can run too. Right. And I can't take these events and help another store that doesn't have them grow with them. That's, that's, that's a big part of this. So let's move on to the other part of the FAQ. Um, what if there is no WPN store in my city? Now this is again, no store at all. Say, so I mean, this is actually part of what a lot of middle America has to deal with, yep. uh, where you've got, you know, players that love the game. They, and they've been probably playing with their Friday night magic tournament organizers, but they've been doing it without those organizers having a store. Right, where the store, you know, it's, it's such a cost to build up um, a brick and mortar store, get it, you know, certified to be able to take wholesale distribution and everything else. Not going to deal with all that. Just going to say, you know, I'm going to run my events out of my local, you know, convention, you know, Freemasons Hall or wherever else, um, local church basement, say. Yeah, um, and then players can buy their product. From any number of, they can buy it online. They can buy it from you know big box store, Walmart, Target, etc. Um, they can they can get their product those ways, or the tournament organizer can buy it from again large online retailers, small on, online retailers, eBay. Yeah. They can buy it. He doesn't need to incur the cost of of having all this product on hand. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's a it's an efficient model, um, and it brings the game to places where a retail store does not exist which, which is the point because uh if you know saying that the guy doesn't want to open a store so but he should still be able to do this stuff is you know some people may not like that some people may say well if you can't send the heat stay out of the kitchen but mm -hmm. at the same time that's not that's not the goal we're not adversarial here we want to grow magic wherever we can however we can mm -hmm. so if this guy chooses this method to grow his community and it's been working because two years ago he was set up to do this mm -hmm. and now you're saying tough luck, that's, that's – Well, and that's, that's really what this, this – and let's read the actual FAQ answer. The official word is what if there is no WPN store in my city? Well, this can either be a city which doesn't have a store that carries magic or D&D or a city with a gaming store that is not interested in tournaments or the WPN. So, for a city with a gaming store not interested in tournaments, show the store the benefits that WPN can bring and how valuable a thriving player community is. So this is, again, the if you don't have it, build it. Convince them otherwise. Um, which is, you know, I don't know how many, <laughs> how many comic shop or, or uh, retailers, I mean... Basically, if they've already gotten – if they've gotten this far and they're not interested in running Magic, um, the, the number of stores that are still open to it are few and far between. I've been lucky in that actually um, in what will hopefully become my new home re in the near future here in Oakland, um, I have found a new store. that It's actually a store that's been around for eight or nine years. And believe it or not, they don't run Magic even though they run all sorts of other stuff. Um, I've found that one amazing place. The one, yeah. <laughs> um, 
honestly, those sorts of places just don't exist. Yeah. There are not that many of them. Um, this one is, is, is unique uh, and, and really an oddity in the gaming community to have a store that doesn't run tournaments at all when they've had the opportunity to. Um, now these guys have just generally not been, you know, they've not been told about it. They don't play that game. So now they're, I'm going to help them. Right. Um, but that's such a rarity. Um, more often, um, you run into stores where you know, places where stores are, have have come and gone. Um, where now, when we're tying these levels to a store, we'll say you know, say for three years, the store builds up its presence there. You know, starts up, builds up its presence, starts from the gateway up to the core, up to the advanced, and you know, builds its player base for the first couple releases. You know, they don't actually get a pre-release because they're not up to advanced yet, or they're not up to core yet. Um, you know, because they're still building or they're still getting their act together. Um, and then you have this golden age of a few good seasons of a lot of pre-releases happening in a great, vibrant store. But retail locations for Magic um, and in gaming stores in general, on average, they have a pretty short lifespan. Yeah. Um, I mean, take, this economy hasn't helped them at all. Oh, not at all. Not at all. I mean, you take a look at a, a town like Davis. You know, vibrant college town. Lots of, you know, kids have their spending money. They've got um, a good walkable downtown district. You know, right now they have two local stores. One can't even run tournaments because their organizer has been banned. Yeah. Um, the so, other one, so what happens then? What if your your local gaming <laughs> store, the TO, has just been resoundingly just banned? Right. So you don't have any options there. Okay, that's that's fine. The, it, Wizard's response is, of course, build a new store. Right, right. Um, but then the other side of this is that the other store has space for 24 players. At the beginning of the day, of Saturday, of pre-release weekend, they are full. They are full for Saturday, first thing in the morning, because everybody has slammed up their slots Friday night. Yep. And the people that show up Saturday morning fill all the slots for Sunday. Yep. You have 48 slots for a town with a college population of many tens of thousands. 48 players can play in the pre-release. Yeah. And to, and to argue that the store can just expand, say, is, is truly myopic. Well, especially because you're looking at an event that happens four times a year, five times a year. You're not going to get a store that says, well, it makes perfect sense for me to invest in a ton of extra square footage, especially right adjacent to my location so they can come find me. Right. No stores do that. They, they don't have that unless they use the space for other things throughout the year. Right. And those are, again, rarefied. Yeah. Rarefied arrangements. Um, so, okay. So, basically, Wizards is saying, for a city with a gaming store not interested, get them interested. And if there is no store, you can find a public brick-and-mortar retail location where players already hang out. Um, and, basically, get them to turn into a store. Is what they're they're saying. You you show them how to be a retail location and carry our products. Tap so, tap tap. Excuse me, Mister Walmart manager. Yeah, and, and <laughs> you know I have boy, do I have a deal for you? Right, right. It's it's you walk up to a, a big box store manager um, or your university bookstore manager. Your university bookstore manager is probably more interested in helping you out because he's a smaller location, interested yeah. in serving students, whatnot. 
you walk into this location <laughs> and you tell them, so I want to run an event and I want to stick your name on it. Um, and you need, I know you, you don't need, know me, but you, you need to call this company and tell them that it's okay for me to do this. Um, and then once you do, um, I'm going to need you to buy a bunch of product. Um, but don't put it on the shelves because that would be bad for a pre-release. Um, don't you know, buy a bunch of product. Uh, I'll come in and pick it up. Um, hopefully I don't have to pay through the nose to buy it, but okay, I'll come in and pick it up. Um, and then once I do, um, we're going to run an event and you're all day. You're going to have people coming into your store asking, so where's this event? And you're going to have to remember to tell them and your staff's going to have to remember to tell them, Oh no, it's over in this building or, Oh no, it's at this location. So you're going to be sending people who walk through your door away, away. Um, so can you do this for me, Mr. Retail organizer, retail, retail manager. I do. You, you get escorted out by the greeter. <laughs> Wait. You, yes, <laughs> by the greeter. <laughs> the little old lady saying "Welcome to Walmart" is going to be asked see, to just, escort you out of the premises. Yeah, I just don't. I just don't see. I just don't Read see it, that happening. So, so it sucks. We're, we're belaboring the point, but you gotta just before we move on, just read the last that that last. We do not have individual organizers who are not associated with specific stores. We encourage these organizers to team up with local retailers so their players can enjoy the great programs of the store's WPN level. For organizers not associated with a store, we will offer an event support kit starting with Mirrodin Besiege. That kit will be identical to the gateway support kits for the most recent core set, Magic 2011 in this case, and will refresh with each new core set. Organizers not associated with a store will also have access to rated and casual sanctioned events. That's that's what you have access to. Yep. If you're not part of a store. Now, I know already this has affected uh, some organizers here in California. I know in Southern California, um, you know, there's a network of stores down there, but a lot of the organizers stay independent of that and run their own events, especially on the college campuses. Yep. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, I can't imagine what it's like for, I mean, the, the kids out in the Midwest that are actually interested in this game, um, you know, but how hard would it be for a retail location to, to, I mean, stay alive in this economy when really, I mean, all they care about is running magic events, right? You know, I mean, really, if that's all you care about, it, it has, it doesn't even have anything to do with selling the product. It's not about you know, the money, it's just about spreading. Because in order to run the event, the kids got to buy the product somewhere. They yeah. don't just make it themselves. Like wizards is getting their money one way or another. Yeah. Um, so by, by that token, why not help people run the events? You know, I don't understand how all these team CMU guys are going to neuter magic on a college campus with this change. I just, it, you know, no, it, I mean, I, I should be, be, Fair to Wizards here and just say a couple points that, that have been brought up in as reasons for why they're doing this. And they say, you know, we want to build strong communities, etc. Fraud. Yeah. Fraud is, is often trotted out as one of the reasons that people say, oh, this is happening because of all these, you know, terminal organizers being sued or other people screwing things up. One of the things that I want to ask Wizards when we get the chance is, is this really related to fraud or is there any aspect of this that... Uh, is related to loss control for you guys. That's that's one thing I really want to ask them. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about that from the perspective that I have already and the experience that I've got with that. Um, 
the short story is that in order to run an event, you need to register it somewhere. Yep. If you register an event happening somewhere and anybody tries to show up, says, this isn't here. This store doesn't exist. I can't find this place. Um, and th- that organizer says, oh, too bad. I'm running it. Um, oh, nobody showed up. I got all these promos left over. Oh, I'll sell them on eBay. Like, that's fraud. Yeah. That's fraud. I can't imagine that the scale of that fraud is worth the cost to the community that this change is made. Um, and also, um, I would say that the number of times that I have seen someone like an independent organizer, uh, usually you'll see them as the, the trade shark that comes to a PTQ. Uh, with a binder, you know, of tons of stuff, and it looks like they basically make their living off of magic. Um, the number of times I've seen them with a binder full of promos that looks like they may have been ill-gotten um, are far exceeded by the number of times that I've seen promos that shouldn't be for sale for sale at stores. Yep. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> at the end of the day, what are you doing trying to snipe independent TOs when? The amount of fraud, I, I, I can guarantee you that. And that is the question oh, that it's, it's, it's exponential difference. Yeah. Is, is, is it indie TOs or are we talking about bad stores? Yeah, I think, I think there's as much in, in both camps. I mean, probably more in the, in, the term, in the stores capacity because oftentimes an independent tournament organizer does that for the love of the game. Yeah. Whereas a business is in business for business. I mean, they're trying to you know make a living doing this with more you know fixed cost, with more involved than simply running tournaments. Um, and so they, they've got again a, a very different mode. Yeah. Um, okay. So have we beaten this to death? We've beaten it to death, but we would love for our listeners to you know we we leave the dead horse carcass out there. Please come and beat it. Um, we have Facebook, please come and voice your opinions. We give you that forum to voice your opinions. You can come and post comments where we, uh, uh, distribute our show on MTG cast and on Mana Nation, uh, judgecast.mananation.com and www.mtgcast.com. Write us in. We, we, you know, we have another episode coming out after this one. Sure. Um, so we will read those uh, those comments. Um, and also, you know, we put out this uh, request for an interview with Wizards of the Coast. If you have questions about the WPN that you want answered, write into judgecast at gmail.com and let us know. We want to make sure that we ask them the right questions, the questions that we have. But we also want to make sure that we ask, we ask them the questions that you guys want answered. And really, in the form of a question, I mean, you know, we've got a lot of howling rage. And if you go to MTG Salvation and read the forum there, it's like 400 posts of rage. Right. Um, And, I mean, there's other little bits and pieces where, you know, it feels like people kind of been kicked and sniped. um, Where, for instance, uh, lands that used to come in in the the pre-release event kits, they're actually charging for those now. They don't send them free in the pre-release event kits. Uh, stores need to buy them, and only stores can buy them. Wow, um, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, there are little things, like, and, and again, it might be a nominal fee for this land. It's just one of those things where, I mean, it makes sense on the outside from a business perspective. 
from a narrower business perspective. But on the broader perspective, I can see that a lot of people would be angry about it, especially this OEPM thing. I think yeah. this is really one of those things that we need to, um, you know, it's it's a way that the community can really come together as a community um, and ask for a change reasonably, but ask for a change for its benefit, for Hasbro and Wizards' benefit. Um, say, you know, there are parts of this policy that need to be fixed. And if, if, you know, if you already have formulated your questions and you've formulated how you want to address this, then the next best thing is to go talk to the WPN yeah. directly. Don't go through us to do it. I mean, you can, and we'll definitely voice your concerns, but go to the WPN directly. Um, so if you want to get a hold of the folks at Wizards, um, the best way to do that is, uh, well, if you want to talk to them on the phone, which is actually not a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, you want to talk to them on the phone, you'll call them uh, from the U.S. and Canada. Uh, the number is 800-324-6496. Uh, when you listen to the options there, there'll be one uh, toward the end. I think it's option four that will say um, if uh, you're a player or an organizer uh, with an issue with the WPN, um, you know, hit this number and then you'll be able to get through to somebody. Um, usually, I, you know, with the volume of calls that they get, you'll get to a machine. But um, I can tell you, they will get back to you. You leave your name, you leave your DCI number, you tell them your issue. And you know, just tell them, if you can't talk to them in person, tell them, you know, I, just leave them a brief message saying, name, DCI number, I'm a player, and I have some questions and concerns about these WPN changes. Um, I've read the FAQ, but I still want to talk about it with you. Um, Please call me back. Yeah. At the very least, if you leave them a message and just say, you know, I don't think these WPN changes are a good idea. Here's why. And just leave, you know, be brief and list a couple of good reasons why they're not a good idea. I mean, if the flood of negativity far outweighs the, hey, thanks, wizards, um, then I really think it's a it's a it's a benefit. I, I honestly believe that the, what drove Wizards to make this choice is a uh, 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 olive branch to stores in economic times of trouble. I, I think that's the only thing that I can that I can foresee is mm-hmm. trying to get um, you know more people into stores than uh, in the hands of an independent tournament organizer running the event at some ballroom. And to tell you the truth, um, I think it's going to backfire. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't think that's a good idea. No. And unless yeah. we talk about reader mail, I'm going to keep talking <laughs> okay. for another hour. One about last, this last place to get in touch with Wizards also is to go to wizards.custhelp, C-U-S-T-H-E-L-P, wizards.custhelp.com. And up in the right hand, I'm sorry, up in the left hand corner, uh, there will be a uh, place there where you can click on the email us tab and go through the steps there and send them an email too. Um, so you want to do the mail thing? The, the little, Oh yeah. <laughs> mail time. Okay. So, Hey Jose, it's time for mail. Um, I always feel like I'm on a game show when we get these mail questions. Like okay. I'm going to get them wrong. Well, sometimes you are. <laughs> yeah. That's the nature of it. Yeah. Okay. But so those times suck. Well, knock out some fast ones. Okay, so rules question. Uh, this is from Tony from who knows where. 
From Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. Okay, that, that must be somewhere up near Charlotte Sable, up there in Canada. I have a question about Infect's keyword ability and its interaction with the card Reverse Polarity and Reverse Damage. I assume the creature that deals me 5 Infect would cause me to gain 5 life. There's no mention of poison on the card, so I assume this is correct. If I cast Reflect Damage, the Infect Poison Damage goes to my opponent um, as the source does not change. So he's got this this question, he's wondering, well, does it show up in the FAQ? And I'm like, oh, well, I already wrote the email, so I'll send it anyway. Okay, so um, he looks at the show, and his name is Tony. So if you do something that says, you know, well, let's, let's say you have a putrefax coming at you, rearing its head, trampling toward you. You have no blockers. And all of a sudden, you decide to cast Reverse Polarity. Nothing would happen. Okay, why is that? Because Reverse Polarity prevents damage from artifact sources. Okay, well, let's say it was uh, a Putrefax that had been hit with the Ashnaz Transmogrifant. Then I would call the guy out for cheating, because Ashnaz Transmogrifant doesn't exist. Transmogrant. How about liquid metal coating? Okay, liquid, liquid metal coating. So future, okay. Look up so reverse so, polarity. I just want to make sure I'm right. We should always have the oracle wordings on hand. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, reverse polarity is an interesting card. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Okay. Aren't you glad that you looked it up? Ugh. Okay. Um, okay, well, reverse polarity is an interesting card. So let's go back to the Putrefax example. Putrefax is coming at you. I hit it with liquid metal coating and cast reverse polarity, yes. which lets me gain X life, where X is the amount of damage dealt to me this turn by artifacts. Right. Well, I would get five uh, poison counters, and I would gain five life. Right, because? Uh, in fact, is damage. Right, and reverse polarity is not preventing the damage. Right. Okay. So that's reverse polarity. How about reverse damage? Reverse damage. These inventive spell names here. Reverse damage actually is worded a little differently. It says, the next time a source of your choice would deal damage to you this turn, prevent that damage, you gain life equal to the damage prevented this way. Right. So if Putrefax is coming at you and you cast reverse damage, you would instead gain five life. Right. And no poison counters. And zero poison counters. Because the damage is prevented. Right. And, you know, I'm kind of glad that they put in a card like uh, that uh, Buna's Acolyte or whatever that prevents damage. Mm -hmm. So to kind of introduce in the set a little bit of how damage prevention works with Infect, you know. If you can figure out how that Abuna's works uh, with Infect, thing to remember is Infect is damage just like anything else. Right, and, and that's interesting to note also because Mark Rosewater, in talking about the design of Scarce Mirrodin, said leeches will not be in this. Leeches are not part of this block. Leeches are bad because it makes, you know, poison counters just another manageable life total. Poison counters need to be unique and different. Right. So this is this is a one way to manage poison, manage it in fact, without it being necessarily leeches. Yeah, and they also put in a couple of, uh, you know, protection from abilities. Uh, edge champion, protection from all colors if you have a... Metalcraft, which means that that Putrefax coming in will not be able to give that 
etch champion any minus one minus one counters because it doesn't take damage. Um, Putrefax will still trample over and hit you for three if that's all you block with. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have uh, Tell Jalad Defiance, which mm -hmm. gives a creature a pro artifact. So if Corpse Cur is coming at you, you can avoid the minus one minus one counters from that yeah. by blocking with uh, your little Iron Mirror. I just can't wait to see how Tatterkite's going to be used in Extended. It's going to be fun. That's cool. Is that a complete change of topic from what you were saying? Totally. Okay. Anyway, next question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was waxing nostalgic about Iron Mirror. Okay, well, you know, okay, so you know Kev Walker made that card. Okay, we're done talking about Kev Walker. <laughs> okay, um, so this is from William. William says he's from Moscow, Russia. Dostvedrdanya. Do you want to read this in a Russian accent? <laughs> no, <laughs> I do not. You're the accent guy. No, I just, I can do, I can do like a Yiddish Boston thing, but you can. <laughs> you can Yiddish Boston. <laughs> No, I, I if I if I read it that okay. way, I'll start you know channeling. Okay. Uh, I, I will Viggo I, Mortensen. I will try this. I will try this. Hey guys, I have a rules question about interaction between the trigger on Luminarch Ascension and creatures with infect. The Ascension trigger checks to see if you lost life on the turn, and damage is considered loss of life, but. Infect means the damage is dealt as poison counters. Does this type of damage count as loss of life? Or do I get to put a counter on my ascension? For example, I am hit by a plague stinger. Thanks. William from Moscow, Russia. That was awesome. Okay, great. Okay, so what's his answer to his question? I wish you would talk that way normally. <laughs> Jose, how are you today, my friend? In Russia, <laughs> yeah. you counted poison. I can't even yeah. make a bad Yakov Shmurov joke here. Okay. Yeah, I know. I, I understand. Okay. Anyway. You know, in, in, you can't say In Russia, rules judge you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Fantastic. So in communist Russia, I should say. So Luminarch Ascension is, is kind of interesting here. Because that's it, that's a, a really good question. Asking if you've lost, you know, uh, let's pull up Luminarch Ascension's Oracle text, make sure that he uh, he got it right, because you were about to get me on reverse polarity, but I know <laughs> old cards. Okay, so Luminarch Ascension says at the beginning of each opponent's end step, if you didn't lose life this turn, you may put a quest counter on Luminarch Ascension. Okay. So if you get hit by Plague Stinger, that's the only time you got hit that turn. You have taken damage, but the damage did not cause you to lose life. Right. That is the big difference. Damage, you know, almost invariably causes loss of life. That's what damage is supposed to do. But infect is particular mm -hmm. in that it will not cause life, loss of life to a player. It will instead give a poison counter. So if you're playing that uh, infect deck. Uh, against that Infect deck, start siding in your Luminarch Ascensions because there's nothing they can do. Okay. Uh, this is a listener email. We just want to throw that out there. Uh, CJ Schrader, Siege Stick. Siege Stick! Uh, he doesn't have a question for us, but he does want to... We did in our last episode ask uh, listeners to send in their what's the quickest way to annoy you as a judge. I think this should be a normal segment of the whole podcast. <laughs> Uh, because there's some really fun ways out there to annoy judges, but this one especially. Uh, CJ says, uh, starting a sentence with, Hive Mind is in play, and... 
that's that's an easy way. Um, that, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Other options mean. include I cast Rite of Replication on <laughs> or I cast Warp World. Yeah, so basically any of those. Um, I did. I I did see a good question uh, fielded that what happens if you Genesis wave into a, a Colony Hard expedition in three lands? You know, Genesis wave could be one of those questions. What happens if you Genesis wave into a Colony Hard expedition in three lands? Uh, well, you're putting them all into play at the same time, so they should all see each other. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Let's see here. It's not a if then sort of thing, so. Uh, you should be triggering that colony hard X number of times. Um, also, great with landfall, of course, uh, to do that. You know, I was playing a game against CJ Schrader one time in the uh, Judge Open on MTGO. Yeah. And, and he, he had giant tokens. Is this yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. That's we have hope. So devastating. Oh, yeah. yeah. Devastating. devastating. He summoned. devastating summoned all his lands away to prevent dying to my. Hellion eruption. And those tokens are they fill the entire screen, right? Yeah. Because you does not have any other permanents. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so Dave Robinder, uh, he's from Colorado Springs. Dave, uh, we've met a couple times, or met once, spoken a few times via email here. He wants to know the most common question we have had asked about limited play with Scars and Meriden. What question is that? You know the question that comes to mind first, don't you? What's that? If I mind slaver my opponent, can I make him concede? Okay, the answer to the question is no, Jose. No. I know that. Okay. You know that. You cannot do that. Okay, but okay. We, I, the, honestly, that is the uh, question that has most commonly been asked to me. That's or at true. least the one I remember the most. That's true. No, that, that's been asked a few times. Yeah. Uh, no, you cannot make your opponent concede. You cannot look at his sideboard either. That's, Yeah. Um, but really, the question that I got asked most frequently at the pre-release and other places um, is with regard to the spell bombs. Oh, okay. The question, for instance, with Horizon spell bomb is: Do I search for the land first, or do I draw the card first? Right. That is true. That that question's come up a lot. Yeah. Too. Uh, or so that's that's a a legitimate question. Um, and the answer is that you will always with the spell bombs. Draw the card before you take the action outlined by the activated ability on the spell bomb. Yep, and that is because the action uh, will trigger at, when you sacrifice it to pay for its cost yeah, and will go onto the stack on top of uh, the ability once it uh, goes on the right. stack. So you resolve the triggered ability that allows you to pay mana and draw a card, then you resolve the trigger, uh, the, the activated ability. Yep, and don't forget neat tricks with uh, cu uh, not calling Dias, uh, Throne of Geth. Other sacrifice artifact oh, yeah. cards, yeah, you can good. just pay to use it as well. Okay, uh, an easy question from Aaron from California. Hey, I'm a rules advisor, but I have a question. Does Progenitus have protection for pizza? Protection from pizza? That's what he asks. Um, well, unfortunately, pizza is not uh, an object in magic. So actually, Progenitus does not have protection from pizza. And the listeners can try this out on their own. They can take a progenitus and just put it on your table and throw a slice of four cheese pizza face down right on it and uh, wait wait a little bit just you know just to make see sure if it shakes it off just see if it shakes it off and then just peel that piece off your uh, playmat your uh, nice uh, you know uh, GP Toronto playmat right um, and then peel that progenitus off 
and see what state he's see in. See how well he's protected. He's not that protected. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know. Was that an actual question? That was an actual question. That was awesome. Um, so, Aaron? I think he was just a California pizza kitchen, kitchen uh, you know, uh, uh, representative. I'm not a big fan. He's like, protection from pizza? Well, come check it okay, out. Okay. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm paranoid. I know. Okay. So, we have a question here. You're not paranoid if they're actually out to get you. You know that, right? We had a question here. Um, from actually, it's regarding MTGO, um, and a question from another podcast from Limited Resources. Oh, Limited Resources! Yeah, I love those guys. Uh, these guys are playing limited. Uh, looks like M11 Limited. Um, so what happened is a uh, guy has two palace guards on his side of the table. Player A has, or player B rather, he's the inactive okay. player. Player B has two palace guards, and player A has. Four five-five creatures. Okay, that's a lot of beastly meat over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he wants to know is, um, okay, he casts Overrun, or you know, giving him four eight-eight tramplers. Okay, he enters combat, declares all of them as attackers, and then the defender blocks each attacker with both palace guards. Okay, so. Basically, because you have multiple creatures being blocked by multiple creatures, um, you have sort of a weird blocking order mm-hmm. step that happens, but which is uh, called the conga line of death by some people, right? <laughs> you line them all up in what order they're going to get killed. And because you've got two creatures blocking five creatures, but they're all being blocked together, it, it makes it really crazy. But It's no longer it a is, conga line. It's more like a, a It's waltz. like an orgy. Yeah. Um, so... Group sex. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have to cut that part out. <laughs> I gave you a great soundbite. <laughs> anyway. I'm really going to have to cut that part out. That's just a little over the line. Is it? <laughs> um, just make my life harder. What the hell? What the hell? <laughs> you just said group. You just okay. said orgy. I'm just going to have to cut this whole part out of here. Okay. 126. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, of course, I'm going to forget. <laughs> so, Okay. Palace guards getting all squished and trampled by uh, lots and lots of big beastie creatures. Right. So what they want to know is basically that it looks like... um, That the guy took no damage? Yeah, the guy took no damage. (laughs) Which which should not have happened. (laughs) Well, you know. Um, So basically, if this happens in the real world, you have um, each creature... uh, You know, let me just actually read it. I think straight straight up from the, the answer that I, I gave him. Um, so the attacking creatures should be dealing just eight total to the palace guards combined, and the rest can be dealt as trample damage to the defending player. Um, and I'd recommend, in this case, re- reporting the MTGO bug report. Um, I mean, how often do you have multiple palace guards? Uh, it sounds like a pretty nice shield to have with this bug in place. But um, So the, the rule that comes into play here, um, is 702.17b. Um, that's that the controller of an attacking creature with trample first assigns damage to the creatures blocking it. Once all those creatures are assigned lethal damage, any remaining damage is assigned as its controller chooses among those blocking creatures and the player or planeswalker the creature is attacking. When checking for assigned lethal damage, take into account 
damage already marked on the creature, and damage from other creatures that's being assigned during the same combat damage step. But not any abilities or effects that might change the amount of damage that's actually being dealt. So they're talking about protection and that sort right. of thing. So the attacking creature's controller need not assign lethal damage to all those blocking creatures, but in that case can't assign any damage to the player or planeswalker it's attacking. So you right. can't trample that's the you can't trample over until you kill everything. Right. Um, and it's that once the things are gonna die all the rest of the trample damage can go over. Right. It's, it's, you, you get the same issue, like if Palace Guard blocks, you know, uh, uh, a Garuk's Companion and a Runeclaw Bear. Mm-hmm. You know, you can trample over for one because Runeclaw Bear is going to deal two, and Garuk's Companion only needs to deal two to get past that Palace Guard, and then the one can go over. It's not like the Garuk's Companion deals three and the Runeclaw Bear deals two, you know. If, if you think of it that way, take, take, uh, one of the creatures having trample out of the equation, it becomes sort of easier to grok. Right. <clears throat> I love yeah. that word, grok. Grok. Uh, yes. um, yeah, M- MTGO has uh, bugs kind of like that. Like, uh, I, you know, when Scars of Meriden came out, the, the facts said that, um, you know, that furnace celebration, whenever uh, mm-hmm. you sacrifice a permanent, you could pay two. Apparently, like, the lands you sacrifice to devastating summons, so devastating! Uh don't don't trigger it for some reason. <laughs> Who knows why? Maybe because you don't have any land left. <laughs> so, um, so it, it knows. It, it knows. Like, how are you going to pay for that? No, yeah, you're not going to trigger it. Um, I have iron meter. Okay. Well, this is actually a terminal organizer question. Okay. Um, this comes from Andrew from right behind you. Okay, Jose, he got you. He's not actually right behind you. Um, I don't like this listener. <laughs> playing on my inherent paranoia. So Andrew says, let's say two players. Joe it's not a coincidence that I'm not sitting with my back to your windows. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, so let's say two players, Joe and Bob, fill out the results slip. At the end of the round, incorrectly. They don't realize it. They hand it to the judge, and the judge enters it into the system as written on the slip. The round finishes. They go to the next round start talking with their opponents, and they both realize they've been paired incorrectly and call a judge. So and you're 0-2 drop 2, huh? Right. What? You're not. At this point, the judge goes, checks the system, digs out the result slip from the previous round, verifies the slip matches what's in the system, shows it to the players, they both say, wait, that's wrong, we screwed up. At this point, what do you do? Well... That's never come up in my experience. <laughs> That's funny. Because that exact scenario happened at table one in round five of States. So it should have come up in my experience? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, it came up in mine in that tournament. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> okay. Um, so. That exact scenario, in fact. Um, so this, once you've submitted your slip, signed it, uh, it's official. It's part of the tournament record, and, and when we go back to figure out if something's gone wrong, that's the record we use to figure out what happened in the tournament. Um, that said, um, it's usually a customer service call from the tournament organizer's perspective. We can you know, we can mark up that slip and make sure that the change is noted, um, but usually it's the tournament organizer's call because it's a customer service issue. I mean, as far as the tournament's concerned, 
Everything's going okay. Everything's okay because, I mean, you can win all of your games and then concede the match, fill the slip out 2-0 in your opponent's favor, and that's a completely legal outcome. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so most likely, I would say the result will stick. Um, if both players filled it out and sign it, most TOs will make it stand at that. Um, and also, that's an educational opportunity for the players to be yeah. like, don't just sign it blank, fill it out and sign it, and check it. Like, this is your tournament. You should really care about how it goes down. Um, and you just won that match. Don't you care? Like, you should really pay attention to that. Now, I, I should also note that um, the guy that was on the losing end of this in round five um, actually ended up winning the tournament. Oh, wow. So he, he actually came back and overcame that. Um, he, yeah. Uh, he was, you know, he was uh, I think, in his write-up of the tournament later, he called it a bureaucratic mix-up, um, which is completely up to him, I understand. Um, but, I mean, that's how we generally will... We'll run it, but it yeah. is a tournament organizer's decision. Yeah, maybe maybe he meant bureaucracy as in him and his opponent. Well, I think it's also <laughs> a matter of us not being able to change it or not being willing to change it. Um, but anyway, that's that's how that went down. Um, yeah. yeah, and what you'll notice this as judges, like um, uh, one thing that that irked me is that I was uh, uh, watching extra turns on on a match, and I watched the outcome happen, and then the players sat there and started to deliberate how they wanted to report the match. And I'm sitting here like, you need to fill out the slip. Yeah. I need the slip right now. Well, and the question here is, if you're at the end of the round here, does that unsporting conduct for failing to follow a direct instruction? Or is that slow play? <laughs> um, well, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, I... I guess I view it more as failing to follow just because the match is over and then they start deliberating about uh, the outcome. Play is no longer happening. And um, really at this point, you know, it was, they were in extra turns. So the match is over. Um, At this point, like there's no, there's no getting around the fact that their match has ended and they need to report their standing so we can continue. Okay, At this so point, they are they're holding up the tournament, affecting tournament uh, procedure, mm-hmm. and judges. Uh, uh, they uh, part of their responsibility is to run the tournament smoothly. This is no longer about their game; it's about the rest of the tournament. So I would call <laughs> it as failure to follow. Okay, that's that, you know I would back you up on that. Um, I would probably also back back up a judge on a slow play warning uh, for both players. Sure. Um, <laughs> the awkward thing about slow play warnings, I mean, not when you award them in, in – in, uh, well, yeah. Uh, the, the, the awkward thing about slow play warnings uh, is that you add a turn <laughs> to each player uh, when you give that. So In extra um, turns? And I would probably ask the um, – yeah, I, I just don't see that. I mean, that, that creates other other issues um, where really you're trying to be punitive and get the players to just follow instructions. Yeah. So really, I think we'd, we'd go back into yeah. um, unsporting conduct. But now, but now I know because I didn't, I didn't actually um, give them the, the failure to follow. Like, it just didn't occur to me. I was just, you know, I understood that they were uh, deliberating about how the math is going to work and mm-hmm. stuff, and, you know. Well, and it's completely understandable to say, you know, 
to, to just simply demand of them fill this out now. Yeah, that's completely understandable without worrying about a penalty or anything like that. I mean, at that point, you're probably just going to piss them off. Yeah, probably just going to anger them. Yeah. Um, which I mean, that doesn't mean they don't deserve it, but right. it's not going to be productive. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't want to use a, a rules cudgel on them. I just want to want them to follow directions and report it. Because you know, if we were sitting there, I think I would have been. I would have just you know like called over the head judge to to take a look at it, or I'm sure he would have eyeballed it because that would be the last match. But it wasn't the last match going on, so you know there was a little leeway there. But that's a that's a good one to keep in mind that you know if if you're at the end of the the round, you know extra turns are happening, and then you have players sitting there for five minutes deliberating the the merits and flaws of of. Uh, concession uh versus you know uh, mm -hmm. anything else no, you can you can just go ahead and say uh you know this is an official uh i'm officially asking you to do this failure to follow will lead to a, a penalty yeah um you guys i'm sure you don't want a penalty so fill this out right now yeah, and you don't need to be as formal as that either i mean if you simply say fill this out now and they refuse or don't um that's that's good enough in my book for yeah. a warning uh I, I don't think you need to go any any deeper than that um, okay, so that's that's a good good exposition there. I'm sure we can talk about that more. I'm sure we'll get that's not the last time we'll get that question or get an opportunity to, to tread back over that. Um, we did have uh, James Fields from Spokane Valley, Washington. He's mm -hmm. a level one judge up there. He sent us a message um, about um, the tournament tournament organizers handbook. Okay. Um, it's actually refreshed and new and different, uh, where they've fixed a bunch of stuff, and it's actually been that way um, ooh, for for a little while here. It looks like um, the thing is that it's not on the DCI Document Center. That version of the TO Handbook. Don't use that. Wow. Use the one at community.wizards.com in the wiki uh, for Tournament Organizers Handbook. Okay, and we'll actually post a link to this on the Facebook page um, and in the show notes so that you get an idea of this is what the tournament organizer handbook should look like. Um, it fixes the issues we talked about, about, um, for instance, uh, a draft uh, not having you know set seating based on, on placement, but a draft being randomly seated right. in the top eight, that sort of thing. It talks about all that um, and fixes those things. So he thought we and our listeners would be interested in that resource, so we will post that link. That is... Three Scoops of Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I think Three Scoops of Awesome is, is a good description. Fantastic. Um, okay, so I think we've got most of the stuff covered here. Um, yeah, I think we've got most of the stuff covered here. Um, do you have anything else to add before we uh, close out this podcast, sir? Um, well, uh, we did have a contest go on. Oh, that we got that's right. We got woefully, woefully few entries for. Now, I don't know if Don't you want a free iPhone app? It's totally free and instantly deliverable. That's um, right. I can send you an email right now. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, um, I, I don't know if it was not a lot of people listen to the last one or not a lot of people have iPhones. Eh, um, I don't have an iPhone. So, um, but I, I do know judges that do. So. Oh, yeah. No, a lot of us do. Um, I mean, I do. Um, so and yeah, I can actually vouch for this program. Uh, also, it's good and I like it. So uh, use it, folks. Um, and uh, I think the the easiest way to tell you this is that um, if you'd like a copy of this app, 
there are two things you need to do. You need to, one, send me your email address, and I will send you a code that you can use to download this on the iTunes store. Um, and number two, you need to uh, just give us some verbal confirmation or, or email confirmation saying, yeah, I will give the maker of this app some feedback that tells him how he can improve his program. Yeah, that's a, you know part of the reason why he uh, uh, gave us these uh, free things to, so he can help. He all he wants is feedback to help you guys again. So. Right, and he's actually got. He actually sent us an email that the new version of this has just been printed, or just been set up. So um, he will. He he sent us codes for the new version of this, um, which um, are good. You know, we'll we'll send them out to you, and and you can uh, give you an idea. Um, it's uh, basically. For competitive REL, if you're running events there, you need the IPG handy. You can, you know, the information, the, I'm using all these acronyms all of a sudden. Um, for the competitive rules enforcement level type events, uh, if you need the infraction procedure guidelines there, um, if you need Oracle text, if you need those sorts of things, this can get those for you. Um, and it has those documents for you, the comprehensive rules, those, those types of documents available on in sort of a succinct format. Now, there are other apps out there that do this here. Um, can't argue with free. Give this one a shot. Right. Exactly. I like this. It's a contest where everybody wins. But, you know, you guys would need to email us. Yes. And let us know. And uh, that'll be limited and to the first half dozen or so that send us. Yeah. First come, first serve. Because yeah. we don't have unlimited codes. So, yeah. Um, and other than that, um, I know we belabored the WPN thing, but... We want to hear from you on this. I think for me personally, mm -hmm. um, it's a, a real shock to see this happen. So I want to I want to make sure that I'm not alone. Um, I want to hear from you guys on that. And, of course, uh, keep sending us uh, rules questions. Absolutely. So that, uh, you know, we can uh, t bat them back and forth and uh, I can correct Sean on his old card uh, food. All right, Jose. Well... Thank you, listeners, for sticking with us and uh, hearing us out and giving us your feedback, because this show really doesn't exist uh, without you. So, from all of us here at JudgeCast, this is Sean Catanese. I keep it fair. And Jose Bovida. I keep it fun. Thanks for listening. So long as the WPN lets me.